Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Abolish the Monarchy podcast and I'm Graham Smith with apologies for some of the sound on this recording. Today I'm chatting with journalist, columnist and self-described hack Tanya Gold who writes for the Spectator and Harper's magazine and who has long advocated for the abolition of the monarchy. In 2019, Tanya said of Prince Harry that he was trying to promote sanity from inside a cult. Since then, the cult has proven too much for Harry and Meghan, and their departure and subsequent accusations against the royals have raised a lot of questions about the nature of royalty and throws new light onto the notion that it's not just bad for Britain, but bad for the royals too. And Tanya, you've written loads about the royals and the monarchy over the years. Where did this kind of start for you? I mean, have you always been a Republican? Can you remember a kind of a conversion moment when you suddenly realised this was nonsense? I can't remember a time when I wasn't a Republican. Um, Even as a very small child, um, the idea that there was this exalted family who were somehow better than us and and who would protect us um, seemed nonsensical to me. And as soon as I became politically literate, if, uh, if I ever did, um, I hoped that we could have a republic where we could vote them out every four or eight years or whatever. And of course, the more I got to know about the monarchy through my obsessive studying of it, the more of a republican I became. Ever a moment when you thought, well, maybe they're not too bad and we could keep it? I don't think it matters what what they're like and I think one of the things that's annoyed me so much about the Meghan Harry Oprah interview is and really this is an emblematic of, of the whole sickness of monarchy is that we're obliged to judge them and feel like we know them and offer opinions on what they should or, or they shouldn't do it doesn't matter what they're like you, you know the, the idea of, of of having a you know a political system that is partially predicated on 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 what or who comes out of of someone's womb is 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 so patently ridiculous that of all the ridiculous arguments for monarchy i think the idea that you know the queen is possibly quite nice is possibly the silliest <laughs> and what, i mean going on on the oprah interview i mean what was was there a big lesson or a big sort of something that we kind of can take away from that about the monarchy or about the the royal household or you know what sort of people they are like i mean that actually matters you know not just are they nice people but is there something quite important that we can take from that that we can learn from what came out of that interview i think there's a vital story inside there which tells us an enormous truth about monarchy. And I have to say, Graham, I hate talking about this. I hate talking about other people's personal lives and tragedies as if they belong to me, but that is what monarchy is. Mm. So I haven't gone as far as really saying this in any of the pieces that I've written, but it is my very, very strong belief that Harry um, Sussex, as I far prefer to call him, uh, has post-traumatic stress disorder from what happened to him when he was a very small child, when he watched his mother be called a whore by photographers so they could get a picture of her shouting or crying, I think after her death and uh, his being forced to walk behind the coffin, you know, forced, coerced, when you're a 13 year old child, it doesn't matter, to protect your father from being catcalled. I think that is such a terrible thing to do to a child yeah. Um, anyway, I do believe, uh, and I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but I know quite a lot 
uh, about the human condition. I don't think you have to be very wise to think that he's got post-traumatic stress disorder. He said so himself uh, with the cameras constantly going off in his older life. It took him back to a very dark place. And I think when he fell in love, it, it, it all came back to him and, 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 and he was forced to relive it. Mm. And I think he was incredibly angry and frightened and terrified that his wife would go the same way of go the same way as his mother. So I think what we're actually seeing here is somebody's personal trauma inflicted on them because they are a member of the British royal family by that family and by us who support it playing out in um, playing out. And I think I think that's the biggest lesson. I think being a member of the British monarchy is I can't really think of anything more uh, emotionally toxic uh, for his mother. Uh, it killed her. I, I refuse to believe, I cannot believe uh, that Diana Wales would still be alive if she had, I, I can't believe she would be dead if she hadn't married into the royal family. Mm. Um, and uh, and I think it has irreparably, irreparably damaged her sons. And as, again, I hate talking about this because it's none of my business. Yeah. And if we had a republic, it wouldn't be. So yeah. there you are, that's what I think. I, I, I feel very uh, much the same on this, particularly the, the intrusiveness of it. It's the people that claim to love them so much that intrude so much. And um, But when I, I watched the interview, and obviously the first, what was it, 20 minutes, it was Megan on her own. And then Harry came in and sat down. And obviously in the run-up, they'd been replaying a lot of these clips. And that, that image of the 13-year-old boy or 12-year-old boy or whatever it was at the time behind his mother's casket, in plain view, it struck me that the same boy was now coming and sitting down next to Meghan Markle. You could see it, you know, you could see that link between those two images that this is a, a damaged, <laughs> traumatized man. And it's really, it doesn't feel good to sort of be speculating about that because it isn't any of our business. He should be dealing with all that in private. But, um, well, he's not but, the only one. I would imagine most of them are very unhappy. And that's one of the fundamental reasons why I am Mm. Not why I'm a Republican. I mean, it's probably the smallest reason, but what it does to them. The Queen Mother used to say that that being king uh, killed George the Sixth. You mm. know, I mean, that's uh, that's a very strong statement from a monarchist and a queen to make about her husband, the king. Going back to the interview, I mean, Meghan Markle. I think that I went to bed on the Sunday thinking, okay, all these journalists on Twitter, the Royal Correspondents are being very smug and derisive and someone will kept on calling it a windfest. And then I woke up on fairly early Monday morning having the broadcast having been on in the US overnight and it was a very different tone of conversation about it because Megan's accusations were pretty inflammatory. I mean, what did you, I guess the two main ones are the, the reaction to med mental health and the racism and what did you make of that? Uh, well, I always said I don't really want to get into what Megan is or isn't and what she says or doesn't say. I've always believed that Harry, subconsciously or not, married a woman who would get them the hell out, just as um, just as uh, Edward VIII did when he married um, Wallace Simpson. You know, they both fell in love with somebody who who by their very nature would make it impossible for them to stay because they're Americans. They don't care about our class system. You know, they might think it's fascinating, but they're not prepared to sort of live under its boot. Uh, definitely racism as much xenophobia for sure and sexism. You know, it's a toxic thing. And we always do this. Whenever a woman marries into the British royal family, it's easier for, much easier for a man. 
And I remember writing and, and giggling over the fact, you know, I had this idea for a joke, uh, Commander Tim Lawrence, Princess Anne's husband, where's my sex tape? <laughs> um, this is something the British media do, and it's 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 cynical and it's disinterested. You know, uh, this girl comes in, uh, this woman, and uh, she's a demon. She's a saint. She's a demon. She's a saint. She's a demon. She's a saint. And it, and it's all designed to um, to uh, drive traffic. It's it's feasting. What struck me, what I found quite disturbing, was the Queen's response to the interview, which took her two days at least to write. And suddenly, else seemed to be gaslighting. Meghan Markle by suggesting that maybe these things didn't happen. And the two things, I mean, when a black woman comes on TV and says that, you know, she experienced racism, and then when she says, talks about mental health getting so bad that, uh, you know, her life was at risk, to then turn around as a public figure and say, well, you know, we don't really believe that, but, um, you know, we'll have a chat behind closed doors. Seems pretty damaging to the whole cause of mental health and anti-racism. I'll, I'll come back to the Queen's, you know, very, very effective myth of, of kindness and niceness and decency. You know, there's a reason why the Windsors are still on the throne. Well, there are many reasons why they're still on the throne. But one of the reasons is they are they will ruthlessly um, act to defend themselves. I mean, look what they did to the Queen Mother's poor cousins. You know, that, that's just one of, you know, the... That's just the most personal of the, of the shocking things they'll do to protect themselves. You know, these, these, you may know this story, you know, these poor girls, they were Bowers Lion uh, cousins and um, they had special needs and they were banged up in some disgusting home. Uh, well, I don't know how disgusting it was, but I do know that the royal family never went to visit them. And they were the Queen Mother's nieces, you know, mm. because it couldn't possibly be known uh, that the Queen Mother had nieces with special needs. The idea that they're nice, it's just, just not true. Um, it, has been, it has been said by other people that the Queen Mother particularly, and I assume it's in, impacted on the attitudes of others, was very intolerant of what they saw as weakness, um, which other people would just see as normal human frailties, but um, is almost a kind of uh, Nietzschean uh, view of uh, human weakness. And if you're, if you're ill or fail or whatever, then, then you weren't living up to the standards. So perhaps that is where this is coming from. Well, if any listeners are interested about the Queen Mother, I suggest they read Lady Colin Campbell's book about her, uh, because <laughs> uh, she emerges of uh, she emerges as really not far short of a psychopath. And, and interestingly, if you're curious about why the Queen is good at her job uh, and why the Queen is sane, it might be because she was brought up the way she did. There was only one room for one star in that family. And don't forget that the queen didn't know she was gonna be queen mm. till she was 12. So it, it, there was no possibility of her going insane. So if you're looking at the reasons why the queen's reign has been effective, that's got to be one of them. And another one is I don't think we can ever forget that because they were at Windsor during the war and because of the constant appearances with Winston Churchill, um, we associate Elizabeth II with, uh, with overcoming fascism, surviving fascism. Yeah. You know, that is a very strong foundation myth for um, for uh, for a reign, and I think if you were asking whether things would be very different, if if we'd had a, a succession of, of kings and queens in the twentieth century, all moving very quickly on, would it be different? I'm, I, th I think it would. Yeah, and there's I mean there's two things there which point to the trouble that they've got ahead of them when the queen dies and Charles comes to the throne, because he doesn't have that link to the war or to defeating fascism, and he was brought up from day one, being told that he's going to be king and have waited his entire life for that. And that, I think, show, shows a lot in uh, the way he behaves. 
Um, waiting to be on a stamp, as my colleague <laughs> unheard, Will Lloyd said. Or did he say waiting to be on a coin? Yeah, which oh, is God. a strange life. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we, we sort of touched on this idea of the gilded cage, and I think I've got sympathy for for people who are damaged by all this, but, I, you know, I think the sympathy, most people's sympathy is limited because, you know, they, they can get out, as Harry's proven. Um, they could do it with more... Uh, well, they could do it more quietly, I suppose, and um, help themselves a bit more. <laughs> well, I suspect before we sort of leave on what, I, because I think it's important as well as talking about what the royal family is emotionally, what the monarchy does emotionally to its to the inside is what it does to us. But I think the last thing I will say is I suspect that kind of attention is addictive. I think it's very, very, very difficult to escape unscathed. And yeah. if you look into the history of the royal family in the 20th century, there were people who, who, who married people they shouldn't and so lost their royal titles and I think they found it emotionally shriveling I mean it's so easy to say to people why don't you just break away why don't you just go and get a job as a ranger you know and never see anyone again but you know you're, you're talking about if people were sane you know how can you possibly be sane if you're if you're brought up by that and I think something I was saying to my friends about Megan and Harry when they when they they did their thing was like why won't they just you know, if they want a private life, why don't they have a private life? And I, I just said, well, you're talking about them as if they're normal, mm. you know, and, and, but they're not. Mm. I find it very, very difficult to judge them. And I find uh, what happened to her. And as a member of the British press, I feel personally complicit in, in, in the treatment of both of them. And, you know, I feel terrible about that. Yeah. I mean, getting away from, from that issue, I mean, what, if someone, asked you in a party very quickly why do you want to get rid of the monarchy i mean what is your shortest answer my shortest answer is, is the british class system is so rigorous and so hard and so effective and it is happening now just as it's always happened we so, can never be a fair and equal hmm. country well they're not toys it's not a game it's not about tourism you know it infects us all the way through our political system, like a sickness. And the other thing that I've noticed about the Meghan and Harry stuff is all the space it takes up, all the oxygen it sucks out of the national conversation. I think it's, we're heading for 5 million, five million children in poverty. You know, there's so much that we need to be reporting on, but an ever more sort of corrupt and silly media is reporting on this nonsense, our own sort of consuming fairy tale. And it's madness. So, and it's not just a principle thing, is it? It's a real sort of, um, there is, you're seeing an impact of the class system on our politics and on our culture. And that is underpinned and shored up by the institution of the monarchy. The monarchy is the fountain of it. The monarchy is the head of it. You know, we have a really vicious class system in this country. I was doing some work on private schools no other country, no other country, developed country in the world has a private school system like ours. There are private schools, but they're usually religious and they're much cheaper. You know, no, nobody else has got Eton or, or Harrow and you buy your children a golden ticket if you can afford it. And if you can't afford to get them a golden ticket, then, you know, God help them, frankly. You know, it's real. And the media don't talk about this because we're so busy trying to send our own kids to private schools. Because journalism is yet something else the elite has taken for itself. And the monarchy is, is, is not you know, adjacent to the class system. It's the press officer for it. 
You know, isn't it great? We're never going to do anything about the grotesque inequalities in this country um, unless we actually just brush it up and say, you know, thank you very much. It's enough. I cannot tell you how sorry I feel about this and the message that it gives. You know, you cannot achieve, you know, the highest rungs of the British state, you know, uh, hereditary, hereditary power, hereditary wealth. It does seem to me, no. I, I, I'm not in this, these circles, so I, I don't know the ins and outs, <laughs> but certainly looking from outside in, it, it appears that there is this layer of society, which some people sort of get into through, you know, whether it's through working in the BBC or going through Parliament or whatever, but there, there, there then becomes this layer of people who are um, more likely to get titles and honours, more likely to be invited to be on boards of companies or um, uh, become trustees of charities and what have you and uh, but are also predominantly privately educated um, and so it's not just the aristocracy and their power their land it's it's media parliament oh yeah I'm not saying the class system I'm not saying the elite isn't porous porous of course it is that's mm. one of the reasons it survives so well it's mm. one of the reasons we've never had a significant revolution in this country, or not for a long time, is 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 the elite is happy to to welcoming. You know what? That's what Oxford's for. Mm. Um, so yes, of course it's porous, but there's this idea that we live in some kind of meritocracy, and it, that's just not borne out by the data of the life chances of of um, you know the difference between people you know who go to state schools and and to private schools. Um, and if any listeners are, are really uh, interested in in quite how toxic the private schools are, um, they should read Engines of Privilege, Privilege, Engines of Privilege by Francis Green and David Kynaston. I mean, your jaw will just drop. And and the saddest thing in it is um, by the time they get to university, uh, state school kids, if they get to university, do actually perform outperform the private school kids. But can I just tell you that my mother used to teach a modern Jewish history class at Eton in the 1980s. And one day she said, have, any, have you heard of Lord Balfour? And somebody went, oh, he's my granddad. Looking ahead, I mean, the thing is, I... It was a year ago, just over, that Harry and Meghan sort of quit the firm. Um, and that was only a couple of months after that extraordinary car crash interview. Please don't so, call it that. It makes them sound like they work harder than they do. Please go on. Oh, the firm. Yeah. Yes. But when, I say, when I think of the firm, I think of the craze rather than the actual business. But, um, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, I um, think of Rose of Clark's industrial. 95 and then going back to their small houses in Clapham. Fair enough, yeah. Um, I think it's yet another piece of uh, propaganda. Yeah, well... No, it works so hard. There is some it's of that, yeah. sarcastic. But I think it was the craze gang um, that was originally called the firm. I think that's where it um, came from. But I could be wrong about that. But anyway, that's uh, it's, it's, it's a closer analogy, I think. Um, but anyway, uh, it was a year ago since Harry and Meghan decided that they weren't going to play ball. And... Just a few months before that, it was Andrew doing this extraordinary interview, which was, you know, about as ham-fisted and um, lacking any kind of self-awareness as you can possibly imagine. And it, it, it made me start to think that, you know, the monarchy is in quite a lot of trouble because we're now in the end game as far as the Queen's reign is concerned. The odds, statistical odds of her getting toward, you know, surviving this decade are pretty 
Maybe she'll be immortal, Graham. Yeah, well, maybe. Yeah. God, she's a god. <laughs> I was in a BBC. I was on the BBC chat show once, and some lovely old lady said, "Oh, you know, I, I don't want to lose the monarchy because I love the Queen." I said, "Well, I'm sorry, but she's not going to be here forever." You know, what do you do? <gasps> She was slightly aghast. The thing is, they are losing their their sort of cloaking device. You know, the, the Queen is what has saved them all over these years for the reasons that you mentioned before about the, the you know the harking back to the war and even the pre-war sort of um, rose-tinted view of the uh, British imperial um, era and so on. Charles doesn't offer that, and now that they've got, they're going to be left, when the Queen dies, they're going to be left with King Charles and Prince William, and the King's... The most attractive bald man in the world. <laughs> He's been voted that by GQ, and somebody joked on Twitter that one of his breast team must have been up all night voting. <laughs> Sorry. They will heap any uh, compliment on the royals, regardless of the facts. Um, I... What I was going to say though, is, I mean, you know, when the Queen goes, you've got King Charles and Prince William. You know, you've got King Charles's brother who's wanted by the FBI. Uh, you've got his son who's on the run from the family, and that's it. And it's it's going to look like a very odd, very different proposition for the British public. And also, it's the first succession that any of us are going to remember. Um, I mean, how difficult and dangerous do you think it is for the monarchy over the, ne over the next 10 years? It's not going to suddenly collapse. It's not going to fall over and, and go because there's so much um, impetus behind keeping it by all those people that you've talked about in the, the class system. But what do you think is going to happen in terms of its relationship with the public, I guess, is the question. Um, I honestly don't know, you know, because everything you say is true. And in some ways we are moving. I, I mean, I, it's complicated. When I say there's a class system, I'm, you know, we're not living in a, in, a, in a feudal society. What we're doing is we're living in a very imperfect democracy where a huge amount of financial power and influence is invested in a very small group of people. You know, that's not the same as living, living in a feudal system. So it's wrong to say that the British people, I didn't mean to say that the British people don't have any power over this. Eventually, it stops with us. And they know that, which is why they weave all these wonderful enchantments, which, as you say, are, are becoming, um, there are problems on the horizon. Though I would never rule, uh, I, I would never dismiss or rule out an elite that has held on to power in this country for 2,000 years. I wouldn't underestimate them. I honestly don't know what's going to happen. I suspect what will happen is that one day people will just stop caring and people won't care anymore and it'll be perfectly apparent that people don't care anymore and people care desperately at the moment I mean hence all the press coverage and I think lack of interest is is the thing that is is deadness is, is death to the royal family and I think it will just it will just blow away and they might know before we do and hopefully they'll leave gracefully but I have very little on this Graham because I'm 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 very good at writing down my theories about the enchantment that the monarchy has over us. And I think we like the fact that it makes us feel different. You know, it makes us feel different from other countries, you know, mm. because it, you know, the ridiculous sort of Ruritanian splendor in the, you know, the golden coach. I mean, it's literally a golden coach that comes out of that ugly palace at the end of the mall. And I really think uh, all Republicans should go and see it. It is blindingly ugly inside. <laughs> and somehow kind of pathetic and fraying. Yeah. Um, they do have the best canalettos I've ever seen, though. So you should go and see it. 
I, I just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I'm thinking Charles will probably go for some sort of very blingy Hanoverian grandeur. Mm. Um, and I just, yeah. I cannot tell you, I, I will not predict the future on this. Seems to um, me if, if people like the the Ruritanian thing and they like the pomp and ceremony, that that's all the Queen. You know, you don't really. I don't know that people associate that with two dull men. That uh, oh no, he'll go for it with his ermine. You wait. He's a very good dresser, yeah. Prince yeah. Uh, Charles. I don't know um, whether the public will go for it. I think it is. He looks very Hanoverian as well. I think he's going to. Yeah, he should model himself on George III, you know, who was on the throne for 60 years, as you know. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's okay. What is important is that you should sit there waiting. Well, I think William's slightly more, I was going to say interesting, he's not interesting, but I think the, the prospect of what might happen. I mean, one of the things that struck me is that, you know, his three kids are about the same, a similar age to Harry's kids, maybe a couple of years older, and... Um, you know, they're going to be growing up stuck in this weird world that has caused a lot of damage. Uh, presumably wanting to meet their and visit their cousins. Um, Harry's kids over who will be living the high life in California. So I don't know whether I, you, do, you do wonder whether this, whether they will give up on it. You know, I mean, it's the notion of loyalty, duty, hereditary and whatever. I mean, it, People don't really believe in any of that anymore. You do wonder whether they will still believe it once the Queen's gone, um, once they don't feel any obligation towards her. So I don't know. I mean, it's sort of getting into I suspect the... it's a very powerful narcotic, all that much attention. I mm. suspect it's a very powerful narcotic, as I said before, and I think it would be difficult to give up. Mm. But I hope someone comes along with the courage to do it. It will have to be the heir to the throne, though. Maybe Prince George will be the last King of England. I find it very difficult to... Um, to imagine what will happen, I simply do not know. There have been so many crises before. Uh, I think somebody pointed out that George IV, his wife, I mean, if you're talking about a marital crisis, she's banging on the door, Queen Caroline, to be let into the um, mm. coronation. But I, it's been really tough to go. I mean, God, look at look at Charles I, you know, God, we chopped his head off. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think in the, in the modern era, and bearing in mind we've only been in democracy for about 100 years when we decided to give everybody a vote, um, before that, it was more of an oligarchy, and the monarchy was highly protected right up until the 80s, really. I mean, it still is to some extent, or to a large extent. Um, so, for most of the democratic modern era, the Queen's been there protecting them. And it seems to me that it's incredibly vulnerable because of the damage done by Harry and Meghan and also by Andrew. Um, and the, the phrase, I mean, I've certainly over the last 10 years, the number of times people have said, well, I like the Queen, but I really can't stand the rest of them, is, you know, I'd be very rich if I got a pound for every time people said that. So, yeah, I mean, it's not going to fall over. And the thing about crises is if they're left to their own design devices, they will fix it and cover it up and move on. But it comes down to the likes of us to, you know, cause well, them to, to build up the uh, momentum to push it over when the time comes. But um, and I think it's going to be a lot easier to push over when the Queen's out of the way. Um, uh, so I think one day people will just they'll know. Yeah. They'll just know. Almost like a chance at the moment where there's a sudden moment of awareness on both sides that it's over. And they're still quite rich. You know, they've got Sandringham, they've got Balmoral. They're pretty rich. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they will be absolutely. More about finances than, than I. 
Though I live in West Cornwall, where a lot of people are very angry they're not allowed to buy the freeholds of their properties because Prince Charles needs to hang on to them because he is so beneficent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how long have you lived in Cornwall now? Four years? Four years. Four years. And, I mean, have you come across, beyond sort of being a journalist and maybe talking about it in that respect, do you, have you spoken to people who are leaseholders of the, the duchy that... Uh, no, but it's big news because there's a real housing crisis um, on the, uh, right. particularly on the Isles of Scilly, and, and people want to buy their freeholds and they can't. Yeah. Um, but that's, uh, and, and I mean, Republic's published a lot on this, you know, on the yeah. on on royal greed. Yeah. Find um, the the beneficence because, as I said, you know, their 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 object is to hang on to their own power, and that's what I find most ridiculous. If we're talking about arguments for monarchy, the most absurd one is surely they're apolitical. Don't be ridiculous, they're Tories. I mean, they might spit out the odd leftist, but uh, I mean, didn't, didn't people like go, go through a period of saying, oh, the Queen's quite lefty? You know, someone would be briefing the Telegraph saying, oh, no, yeah. really, you know, she's quite lefty. Mm -hmm. You know, if your definition of lefty is, you know, you're not going to kick a child in the face. Um, you can't be apolitical if your idea is, yeah. I, 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 if your behavior is predicated on needing to hold on to your own power. You can't yeah. possibly be apolitical. And the other argument, I think it's very important that we put the, the since we're having quite a, a wide ranging conversation, so we have to talk about the one real argument for Monica, the only one that I've ever found remotely convincing, but not convincing enough, is that um, it protects us from fascism because the sort of people who become fascists are instead waving uh, Union Jack flags outside primary schools. <laughs> the original fascist government, of course, was Mussolini. Um, and throughout his uh, time in power, um, the king of Italy was happily sitting on the throne, uh, you know, facilitating the fascist government. So, and Edward VIII actually was a Nazi. Yes. Well, he had a lot of sympathy for the Nazis. And, and I mean, he, if you look around the world, I mean, the Thai monarchy, particularly, I mean, the last king was absolutely hopeless at protecting Thailand against military coups. I mean, he had about 17 of them on his watch um, and, and did very little to stop them. Yeah, it's a curious notion that it was Churchill that came up with this phrase that um, if Germany had kept the Kaiser, they wouldn't have had Hitler. It's like, well, all the evidence is that that just wouldn't have been. It <laughs> wasn't true. <laughs> you know, he would have just quite, facilitated That's quite there again, it's this idea that the royal, that the queen sort of grew, you know, like a magical tree out of the dust of Nazi Germany to protect us all under her lovely leaves. The worst thing I've ever heard about the royal family, and I really hope that you use this. Uh, I have no idea if it's true or not, but it has been in a book. So maybe it's true. And it's a Princess Margaret story. It's not the Princess Margaret story about when she came in, she would put her hand on the television to see if the staff had been watching it while she was out. It was when she went to see Schindler's List and she sat down and I can't believe she didn't know what Schindler's List was about. Maybe she didn't. I mean, people like to say she was an intellectual and, and you should read Craig Brown's book about Princess Margaret. It's unbelievable. And she was like, oh, no, not the fucking Holocaust again. And uh, got up and left. Uh, that's the worst thing I ever heard. Uh, you see, the thing is, I don't think they like us and I don't blame them. I wouldn't if I was them, I wouldn't like us either. You know, I think actually they hate us. And yes. the day we learn that, that's the day they'll go. Yes. But it, it, there's, there's a curious superfan mentality going on there. That, you know, if if your if the object of your obsession is rude to you, then you just kind of you will find some way to square that with your obsession rather than go off it. It's a, and as you, yeah, but I mean, as you said, it, 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 I mean, the institute of the family is cult-like, but there are certainly 
the, the, the biggest fans are very cult-like. I mean, they, the Royals simply can never do any wrong, no matter what. And this is one of the, I mean, they were essentially redefining what racism means in order to make excuses for the royal family around Meghan. Um, and essentially abandoning all the progress on mental health in order to, you know, make Megan the villain of the piece. And it's, uh, it's I mean, that's disgraceful. That was that was disgraceful what they said about her. I should probably go and interview some people who Majesty magazine obsessives, because I would love to know why they do it. And my guess would be they don't know. It's like I once interviewed somebody who'd been eight hundred times on a roller coaster, and he didn't know why he'd been eight hundred times on a roller coaster. Yeah, you know, some kind of narcotic, some kind of replacement. Yeah. I just don't know. But I mean, I think the vast majority of people don't care that much about them, um, but they will go along with it because they think everyone else does and they think it's harmless and makes money. But um, uh, It doesn't make money. The biggest uh, tourism destination in Europe is Italy, which is a republic. If I was a monarchist, I'd be a Jacobite. <laughs> what does it explain that? Uh, they're not even the real kings, are they? You know, well, the, 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 I, I, I think that the real, the true king of England lives in Australia, doesn't he? The Plantagenets, oh, the last yeah. of the Plantagenets. My husband's a Jacobite. What happened to James is <laughs> like, Bonnie Prince Charlie. La, 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 la. <laughs> they said something personally, would you end up becoming the Queen of England if, uh, if it was a Jacobite? Uh, well, what you really want to know is whether I would stand for President of the Republic. That's the better question. Would you stand for President of the Republic? Yes, I think everyone should. I think that, to end on a positive note, this is the thing that I like to talk about the most, is that when we get rid of the monarchy, not if, but when we do it, that moment and that opportunity is enormous. And it's going, people talk about the monarchy being, you know, sort of putting us on the map or whatever, making us famous, which is a very odd thing to say about the country. But the whole world, (laughs) when we get rid of the monarchy, the whole world is going to be watching when that happens, because the whole world is like, Wow, you're actually doing it. We didn't think that was going to happen, you know. And then to see us actually go to the ballot, ballot boxes and vote for it, I have to say, it's going to be extraordinary. Um, I've never been as optimistic as you about this, Graham. It has to happen in someone's lifetime. Yeah, but it's millennium. No, it's going to happen. Don't underestimate them. I think I think uh, ten years before the uh, the various monarchies fell, people were sitting around saying it's not going to happen. But then ten years later, it did. So all these things fall. I yeah. hope so. I hope so for our sakes and for theirs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they say that if William stood, he'd be elected. I think that he wouldn't dare and wouldn't want to. Um, and, they'd be and that's why I'm less optimistic than you. Well, I think that I think they will see where it's all going and think, you know, at some point it's going to be harder for them to stay than go. I think I spend much too much time speaking to people in their 50s and above. I'm sure younger people are more optimistic about losing the monarchy than I am. You yeah. know, I find it hard to believe they have any real stake in it. Yeah. We shall see. Better will happen. We shall see. <laughs> so a huge thank you to Tanya Gold for coming on to the Abolish the Monarchy podcast. And apologies again for the sound problems caused by a faulty mic. And that squeaking, by the way, was my chair, which is also faulty and has been replaced. You can read more about Republic and the campaign for Britain to become a republic at Republic org.uk where you can also find out how you can join donate and get involved and find links to republic's youtube channel and social media make sure you subscribe follow sign up and do whatever else you do to keep up with all the latest podcasts videos updates and actions from republic and yes it is when not if so i hope you'll support this awesome cause bye for now